Hey, Gates, how are you? Here we are, the beginning of 2022. We made it. Aren't you glad we made it? After, after all that we have walked through, isn't it amazing that by the grace of God, we're still here? And just so grateful for God's hand on our lives. Aren't you grateful? Come on, are you grateful coming into 2022? Are you grateful that, 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 that the same God that saved you is the same God that's with you? Are you so glad that God's on your side? Amen. Are you just not going to raise your hand no matter what I ask? You're just not going to say anything? You just Okay, all right. You can be like that. You can be like that. I do have some folks in my church that love the Texas Longhorns, and whenever Texas OU play, instead of amen, I usually get hook them or something like that. So I'm not inviting that, but I'm just saying. Uh, I, am, I am really, really honored to be here and to, to be with all of you. I love being at this church. I feel like... I feel like whether you want me or not, I'm part of the family, and I, I love just being around all of you and seeing so many faces, and, and how about the worship team? Didn't they do great tonight? Can we just thank them for what they did? <clears throat> yeah, and, um, and, and I, I, I think I may have mentioned this before when I've been here, but it just, this, there's a realization that comes to me just about every time that I'm here that, that I've, I, it causes me to give great... Um, gratitude and thanks to God. In, in January of 1994, I was taking the very first step towards ministry. I felt like the Lord had changed the course of my life. I was in college before that. I'd majored in chemistry, planning on going into medical field at some level, and, and that's what I wanted to do. And then the Lord interrupted. How many of you know he does that from time to time? I mean, how dare he? But he did. He interrupted my life, and my life went a different direction. But at the same time, I, I wasn't exactly sure what that direction was going to look like. I just, I just knew God was taking me towards ministry. And I found myself, as I said, in January of 1994, I'd sold everything that I had to move to a small town called Lockhart to serve a, a pastor there who had been my youth pastor under my dad's ministry in San Angelo. And, and we went to a, to a college retreat. I had already agreed to go to the college retreat before I had moved, and I went to the college retreat. And I'm, I'm there, and we're having, you know, fun, a great time. We're in Concan. Anybody familiar with Concan? There's really only one thing in Concan. It's called Neil's Vacation Lodges. It's about the only thing in Concan. And that's where we were. And... And there was this guy that was invited to speak I'd never heard of, didn't know who he, who he was, didn't, and never even heard the name. Um, but he preached, he preached, and, and I'll tell you, I, it was so powerful, I don't remember any of it. <laughs> but I remember at the end of the meeting, he, he started praying for people, and he, and he stood me up, and he said, come here, I want to pray for you. And at the time, I'm not even sure that he knew who I was. But he said, come here, I want to pray for you. And he said, the Lord spoke to me, and I've got something I need to tell you. And he started bringing clarity to something that I, I knew God was taking me a direction of ministry. But then all of a sudden, God ticked it up a notch, as he does, and started bringing some shape and some clarity about what that ministry was going to look like and the kind of people that God was calling me to. And, um, and I will forever be grateful to your pastor, Pastor Burt Wimberly, for having the courage that night 
to stand me up in a crowd and say, this is what God has for you. And so, Pastor Bird, I honor you tonight. Thank you for doing that for me. <clears throat> I, I honor the whole family because I know you're, you're really not much without, without Becky. So, <laughs> no, but our life got better when, we, when, when the Wimberleys came into our life. Our life just got better. And, and I know for me, just at a personal level, I just, I'm honored to call you my friend. And um, I, <clears throat> I have had the opportunity to teach in Bible schools, and, um, and any time they ask me to teach on leadership, I always pull out, I have one message that I preach on leadership, really, and I pull it out, and I've got 10 things that, that were imparted into my life about leadership that, that, were, that God imparted to me through other great men and women of God. And, and, and one of those is, is, it's going to sound very churchy, but I'm telling you, when you're, when you're leading God's church, it makes all the difference. And, and it is to walk by faith. And I tell them every time, because I give them a list of who, who taught me these things. And for the walk by faith, it was Pastor Bird that I tell them. Because I, we were on a phone call. I was on a phone call with him one time. And he said, Brandon, whatever you do. I, I was just pastor not knowing what I was doing. I felt bad for the people that were actually having to sit under me. <laughs> I almost felt like I needed to apologize every Sunday. Just like, I'm sorry, we're trying, doing my best. Um, but Pastor Burke just said, hey, Brandon, just remember this. Whatever you do, do it by faith. And it, it's always going to take you the right direction if you'll just do it by faith. And, and I have come back to that many times, many times. Just when, when the challenge is too great, I just come back to that phone call and hearing Pastor Burke's voice saying, just do it by faith. Okay, well, we'll do it by faith, and, and it's carried us through a lot. So, so our, our, our relationship goes, goes beyond just these moments, although I, I don't take these lightly. I'm, I'm honored that you, as the man of God for this house, would, would open this pulpit to me. Um, I, I'm honored that you would do that, so thank you very much. Um, I do have my gorgeous, beautiful wife with me tonight. Would you stand up and let everybody see you? She's... she's <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> viva la raza. I was so glad when God allowed me to marry into the Latino culture. I was just so glad, so glad. Um, we moved to San Angelo. That was one of the first times I'd ever seen a Latino girl, and I said, Jesus, can I have one of those? <laughs> and he was gracious to me. Not many times does the Lord do things my way, but this time he did, and and I'm, I'm so glad. And we have, we have four wonderful kids and um, three adult kids, which is just weird. It's just weird. But I know I don't look that young or that old. <laughs> I know I look old because I got a lot of gray hair. I have gray hair because I'm married into the Latino culture. No, I have gray hair because I have four kids. <laughs> I got something to share with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with our theme. Is that all right if we stick with the theme? The wisdom of God revealed. So take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. While you're turning there, I'm going to pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this moment. We have made an appointment with you, and we believe you have made an appointment with us. So we ask you to speak to us. We set our ears to hear our hearts to receive, and our minds to comprehend. 
I ask you, Lord, according to Ephesians chapter 1, that you would grant to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation tonight so that tonight we know you better. Jesus, we declare that you are Lord over this time. Holy Spirit, have your way. And lead and guide us to truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3. I want to start in verse 8. I'm going to read several verses, so just stay with me. I'm going to start in verse 8. I love the theme of this conference. We could always use more wisdom. Yeah. I read a, a quote from John Wayne that said, Life is hard. It's really hard if you're stupid. So we need more wisdom. We need... We need a lot more wisdom, yeah? We, need, we could use a lot more wisdom, yeah. Just get on social media and you'll realize how much wisdom the world is lacking. Mm-hmm. So we need more wisdom, but we need God's wisdom. We need God's wisdom. Nehemiah, Nehemiah was building the wall and there were guys that came to him and said, come out here and let's reason together. And Nehemiah said, that's not happening. But yet God showed up to the prophet And he said, come let us reason together. And the prophet said, okay, I'll do that. There's a big difference between reasoning among yourselves and reasoning with God. And we need to be reasoning with God. And we need to stop trying to figure stuff out between one another and turn to God and find his wisdom. Yes? All right, Ephesians chapter 3. Here we go, verse 8. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Um, So your Bible reads different, it may just be different Bible. That's page 1,237 in my Bible, if that helps you kind of get it, if you land at the right spot. All right, verse 8. To me, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, to me, the very least of, of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to enlighten all people as to what the plan of the mystery is which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that, verse 10, so that the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. The Apostle Paul said, look, I was sent. God commissioned me. He called me. But there was a purpose to this calling. He called me to preach to the Gentiles and to reveal the mystery that had been hidden for so long. And he said, this is so that the multifaceted wisdom of God, the King James says, the manifold wisdom of God, if you had a Bible dictionary, you could take your Greek Bible dictionary and, and it says the multicolored aspects of God's wisdom. It's the multifaceted wisdom of God. It says that it might be made known. But then it says, by the church. The wisdom of God is to be made known by the church. That's why the church cannot jump on every bandwagon that's going on in society. We are here to reveal the wisdom of God, not the opinions of man. We're the church of Jesus Christ. 
And this word church here, some of you may know, some of you may, I know you got a good Bible teacher in your pastor here, but this is a Greek word, ekklesia, which means the called out ones or the public gathering. So now let's think about that. that. What that means, simply put, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but what that means simply is that you and I cannot be the church by ourselves. We're the church because we come together. Right now, we're the church. And right now, this gathering is revealing the manifold, multifaceted, multicolored wisdom of God. Wow, what a great commission and mandate for the church. Well, how do we do that? Well, there's, there's a few ways. I'm actually going to talk about a couple of them, but just think about it like this. There are voices in society today that are saying that we should be separated based on specific identifiers, whatever we choose to identify with or how we identify that we set ourselves apart from one another. But yet we come into a place like this with all of our varying backgrounds, all of our various economics and race and genders, and we come into a place like this and we put all that aside and we say there's one God. You see, this right here is not the way society is operating right now, but the church continues to do it, revealing the wisdom of God. Because God says, I want people together. And we come together and his wisdom is seen, and it, his wisdom doesn't look like the world's wisdom. It didn't look the same. It looks different, and it's supposed to look different. It's supposed to, it's supposed to at times, even be contrary. Not that we're looking to cause fights or to pick fights or to argue. That's not what, that's not what this is about. That's not, that's not even what I'm even alluding to. I'm just saying there are some times where when we stand on the wisdom of God, it's going to be contradictory to the opinions of man to such a degree that things could get a little tense. But when you know the wisdom of God for your life, I, I think it's a great, brilliant piece of advice to read the book of Proverbs. Scholars say that the book of Proverbs is the most practical book in the Bible. And you could take any verse, read it, and immediately apply it to your life and walk it out. 31 chapters. If you decided to read a proverb every day, by the end of this year you would have read Proverbs almost 12 times. And you need to read it 12 times. Because we need it over and over and over. Because our brain defaults to dumb. It does. I, I, I actually have a scripture from Proverbs to prove that to you. <laughs> it's Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 1. It says, the one that isolates himself seeks his own desires and rages against wisdom. You see, anytime you pull away from God's gathering, anytime you pull away and you go by yourself, something in you starts to rage against wisdom itself. That's why we need this, because here, wisdom is being revealed. Just the fact that we're together, God's wisdom is, is here to be deposited into your hearts. And not only that, but I love what it says, who we're making it known to. We're revealing the wisdom. The church is revealing the wisdom of God to principalities and powers. Those powers that try to divide. Those powers that try to separate. Those powers that try to bring fear. The church gathers and says, we're not afraid. And we got the wisdom of God. And we're going to declare the wisdom of God. And we're serving you notice. 
that your ways are not going to work in our lives. We're not going to be dictated and controlled by these principalities and powers. We're actually talking back. Amen. So again, how do we do it? Well, it's already started tonight whether you know it or not. And I hope that in the few minutes that I have left that I can show you scripturally how the wisdom of God is being revealed right now. At the end of this chapter, chapter 3, <clears throat> we have one of, the, one of the most well-known verses in verse 20, right? We have verse, is just, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Anybody familiar with that? Yes. But look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, to him be the glory in the church. Here we are again, we're still in the church. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. That word glory is a Greek word that means this. It means the good opinion of God that results in praise and worship and honor to him. One of the ways that we reveal the wisdom of God is when we stop all that we're doing and we lift our hands in the air and we start worshiping him and we're declaring his wisdom. I know it doesn't seem like that makes sense. It doesn't, doesn't seem like that, it, that, it, that we're saying anything particularly wise at that moment. But the Bible says that in the church, from generation to generation, we're to worship him and give him glory. Here's the key, generation to generation. That means the church is not just for old people and the church is not just for young people. We need every generation represented in the church. And when every, every generation is being represented in the church, God's wisdom is speaking loud at that moment. From generation to generation. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, you're probably familiar with all the blessing, and you give the blessing and the curses and Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall you be in your basket, blessed shall you be in the storehouse, everything your hands touch will prosper. You're the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. Anybody familiar with these verses? <clears throat> well, in verse 50, God says, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, then there's trouble coming. And he said, that trouble's coming in the form of a nation. And then he lists these atrocities that are going to be committed against the nation of Israel by this vile, perverse nation. I'm not, I'm not just being gross for, for gross sake. You just need to read it. But, but it's going to cause them to eat their kids and, and, and the placentas of the pregnant women. Like It just goes on and on. They're starving to death. But the first thing in the list, verse 50, Deuteronomy 28, verse 50, the very first thing says, This nation is so vile that they do not respect the elderly and they do not show favor to the young. How did that make the first of the list? Of all these horrible things? Listen to me, young people. It's horrible when you don't respect the elderly. God says that's terrible. Now, older folks, listen to me. It's horrible when you don't show favor to the young. We need both things happening in the church. We need the elders being respected and we need the young being favored. And what that does is it creates an environment for both generations to exist in the same room at the same time, worshiping the same God with the same song. 
That means we don't have, we don't have young people going, nah, that's just an old song. I can't, I can't really get into that. And we don't have, we don't have old people going, nah, that's too modern. I don't like that too much. I don't like that. Mm-mm. No, because we're in an environment where the wisdom of God is, and we start worshiping him generation to generation, every generation lifting their voice at the same time worshiping him, and we're declaring to the principalities and powers again, you can't separate us. I did something recently. I did a research. I researched this thing, and some of you, maybe anybody in the medical field, or you're, you're aware I know some of you, we're, there's, there's one guy in here certainly that's smarter than me, the doctor. But there's this nerve, it's the biggest nerve in the human body. And it actually affects every one of your vital organs. It's connected to all of them. It's called the vagus nerve. Okay, the vagus nerve must be running at its optimum in order for all of your organs to operate properly. It's the biggest, thickest nerve in the whole body. And the researchers have found that if, if the vagus nerve gets damaged, well, the kidneys don't function right. If the vagus nerve gets, gets, gets affected in any way, then things start to malfunction in the human body. But they found something that stimulates the vagus nerve to run at its optimum performance. And it's one thing. Now, there are other things you can do, vitamins and stuff that just help, but they said there's one thing that actually you can do without medication that causes the vagus nerve to just take off and operate at its peak performance. And it's singing. Not only that, but what they found is not just singing, but corporate singing with other people. That when we sing together, something starts to happen. I wonder if that might not be what the Apostle Paul was alluding to when he said, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Not only that, then they said what happens is in corporate singing... Now, this is, not, this is not Christian research. This is just scientific research that these scientists have come up with. He said, not only that, but in corporate singing, what they found is that because we're all singing the same song, same words, breathing at the same time, speaking at the same time, singing at the same time, that every heartbeat in the room sinks up. And they said it creates the human connection to such a deep level within the human soul, it makes a connection between other people around the human soul that it actually lifts inside, lifts pressure off and stress off, that it causes stress to start to dissipate. God says, come together and sing. So we come together and sing. And it doesn't seem like it, maybe, maybe it doesn't make sense. Really? You go to church every Sunday? Yeah, yeah, my vagus nerve depends on it. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to live a healthy life. It, 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 listen, listen, it's, it's, not, it's not coincidence that studies show that people who go to church regularly live longer. Come on, how many of you could use a little stimulation in your vagus nerve? Yeah. 
Can I, I don't mean to sound desperate, but ladies and gentlemen, I know I'm preaching to the choir, you're here. But man, we ought to be knocking that door down every time it's time for church. Because we're coming here receiving health in our bodies, strength in our bodies, and the wisdom of God is flowing among us and being revealed to principalities and powers. What we're also saying is principalities and powers, your sickness has no place here. It may not make sense that I'm going to sing to get healthy, but according to the wisdom of God, that's exactly how you do it. So the wisdom of God is revealed in our worship. Ezekiel chapter 46 and verse 9. They're reinstituting the laws of the temple and of worship. And if you look back over Deuteronomy and Leviticus and all when the rules first came in, what you find in Ezekiel 46 is everything that was talked about then is re-mentioned, restated in Ezekiel chapter 46. Except for verse 9. Ezekiel 46 verse 9, something new shows up. Something that you won't find anywhere else in the rest of the Bible. It shows up for the one and only time when it comes to the rules of worship. And here's what it says. When the people gather, those that come in from the north gate have to leave by the south gate. And those that come in by the south gate have to leave by the north gate. And then this statement is made, depending on the translation you're looking at, but this statement is made. God says, I don't want the people to leave the same way that they came. We ought to have an expectation that every time we come to church, we're leaving different than how we came. We may go in and out the same door, but we're leaving different in some way because we came to God's house and we started worshiping him despite our circumstances. When everybody else said you ought to be huddled in a corner sucking your thumb, you're throwing your hands in the air and you're worshiping the king of kings and revealing the wisdom of God. The next thing, and I'm going to start, oh man, i got so much time, we're going to praise the Lord. I like that countdown. So we, the wisdom of God is revealed through our worship. Secondly, the wisdom of God is revealed through the preaching of the word. Titus chapter 1 and verse 3. The Apostle Paul said, God has chosen in these last days to reveal himself and his word through preaching. Every time, now I know I'm the preacher at this moment, but I'm just coming back to this idea. This is happening in the church, the public gathering. It's not just Pastor Bird up here saying something you may have heard him say before. Listen, I've pastored a long time. I say a lot of the same stuff because y'all don't get it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Now, I may be dating myself a little bit, but I did have a pastor friend that said, we were talking about Jim Jones, and he said, he said I've just prayed, God, would you give me 2,000 idiots to just do what I say? I just, if I say drink the Kool-Aid, drink the Kool-Aid. But it's not just Pastor Bert here just saying something and going to a passage that you're so familiar with, you probably know where he's going to go before he even gets there. No, no. The wisdom of God is being revealed because the word of God is being opened. And the word of God defines itself this way. It's alive! Yeah. 
Hebrews chapter 1 says, The word of God and the gospel was preached to all men, but for some it profited them nothing because they didn't believe it. You want the word of God to profit your life? You've got to believe it. And the wisdom is revealed. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that God confounds the wisdom of man and reveals his own wisdom through the foolishness of preaching. This is not just about routine. This is not about just ritual. Okay, well, it's Sunday. This is what we do. And I mean, come on, it's Friday night. I, I, I say this to our Wednesday night crowd, but I, I'll say this to the Friday night crowd. This is the Navy SEALs of the body of Christ that come out on Friday night, right? These people, you're, you're not here because it's just routine. You're here because you're after something. And I believe when you, when you do that, God, God shows up in your life in a powerful way. It's through his word, the preaching of the word, that his wisdom starts to be revealed in our life. My brother, who's, who's here also, told, told me a story one time about, <clears throat> he said he preached a sermon. And then a guy came up to him after church and said, man, I really appreciate that sermon Man, I felt convicted when you started talking about how husbands talk to their wives. And my brother said to me, he goes, I didn't even talk about husbands and wives. He preached the word and the Holy Spirit went, husband, stop talking to your wife like that. Because even if you've heard it before, God has something new to tell you. Because the word's alive. And it's going to come to you a different way in a specific way that maybe you haven't seen it or heard it before. He's going to reveal something to you about himself and who he is through the preaching of the word. The word, listen, the word is enough. It's what we have. Jesus came to the earth and they called him the word. The word is it. The word is it. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's the word that's used there. The Greek word is logos, which is translated as word. Previous to the apostles, most Greek scholars and Greek teachers used the word logos for something else. They used it for, to say the word meaning, like to give meaning or to have meaning is the word logos. So let's think about it this way. In the beginning was the meaning, and the meaning was with God, and the meaning was God. And that meaning became flesh and dwelt among us. So when you go to the Word, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find meaning for your life. So we go to the Word, and He reveals to us who we are. He reveals to us who He is. He reveals to us what we're going to do together. So we need to come to church, and we need to... Sit under the preaching of the word. And the Bible says in, in Hebrews, cha- I mean in Romans chapter 10 that when you hear the word, faith starts coming alive on the inside of you. There was a Roman centurion that was walking with Jesus. And before they got to the house, he said, you know what? I don't even need you to come to my house. As a matter of fact, he said, I, at first he said, I want you to come to my house, heal my servant. Jesus said, all right. And then somewhere along the way, he said, you know what? I don't even need that. Why don't you just speak the word and I know my servant will be healed. I'm telling you, whatever is lacking in your life, if you will sit yourself under the speaking of the word, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. Yeah, read Proverbs. Read Proverbs every day and come to church every time the doors are open and get under the preaching of the word of God. Again, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but there's all those sinners that are going to watch it later. They aren't here. 
He said, under the preaching of the word, light shines in the darkness. Hope rises. Faith increases. Healing manifests. When you sit under the teaching of the word. And I want to start bringing it to a close with this thought. Now, I've said this to you before, I think maybe the last time. I'm the, the, we just started to drop in altitude. The landing gear's not out. We're not that close, but we're just, we're headed there. This is found in verse 11. Right after he says to make known the wisdom of God, the church is making known the wisdom of God. Verse 11 says, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose. This is in accordance to the eternal purpose. That means there was a purpose that existed before you got here. And there's a purpose that's going to continue on long after you're gone. Because it's an eternal purpose. So what you're a part of here at church is bigger than just this one moment. Because you're, not a, you're actually not a part of a moment. You're a part of a movement that started thousands of years ago. We find this in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, there's a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen. The Bible says that he served tables. I'll put it in, in our common understanding. He was a nursery worker at church. And here's what it says of Stephen. He was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And miracles and signs and wonders were breaking out while Stephen was serving tables. You, you don't have to stand on a platform to see miracles, signs, and wonders. You can go babysit babies. You can teach in children's church. You can stand at the door and greet, open the door. You can stand in the parking lot and help direct traffic. But I would say to you, while you're doing it, do it full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit and the people's lives in that moment, from the parking lot, their life will be changed in the parking lot before they ever even get in the building. But here's Stephen, seeing all this amazing stuff happen in his life and through his ministry. And people start lying about him and saying that he's teaching wrong stuff and he's teaching blasphemous things. They said, you got to come before the council and you got to answer for this. And in Acts chapter 7 and verse 1, they asked Stephen, they said, Stephen, are these things true? Did you do this? Have you said this? Are you, are you preaching this message? Are you spreading these lies? Are you blaspheming God? And from that place to the end of chapter 7, Stephen preached the longest recorded sermon in the Bible. I'm not going to preach it to you right now. I'm just, we're going to hit some highlights. But if you read chapter 7, and I would encourage you to, you read chapter 7. Some of you are familiar with the story. Stephen was one of the first martyrs. He was stoned to death, right? He looked up, he saw heaven. But not one time, because for 54 straight verses, Stephen's talking. 
And not one time does he say, no, what they're saying is a lie. Not one time. Not one time does he defend himself and say, no, no, I, I didn't say that. I, didn't, I promise I didn't say that. You can go back and listen to my recordings. I didn't say it. Not one time. Stephen launches out on a history lesson. Stephen says, you remember Abraham? And how the persecution came and you remember Moses and you remember David and he starts recapping history. Now here's what you have to understand. The guys that he's recapping history to are most likely the guys that taught him that history. And he's recapping all this history like these guys don't know it. But he starts talking about Abraham, and then he starts talking about Isaac, and then he starts talking about Jacob, and then he starts talking about Moses, and then he starts talking about David, and then he starts talking, he talks about Joshua even, and he's listening to great heroes, and he's saying how every time you doubted them, every time you questioned them, every time you martyred them, every time you slayed them, every time you stood against them, our Father stood against them, and you stood against them today when you stood against Jesus Christ, the precious one that Jesus, that God and our Father in heaven sent, Jesus Christ, you stood against him and not only did you stand against him but you crucified him and he goes through this whole long history lesson it's like Stephen I read it and I go Stephen tell him you didn't do it and there's some speculation in that moment the Bible says that they got angry and they got pricked in their hearts and they got mad at Stephen and they're mad and Stephen knows they're mad and the Bible says that he looks up and he says I see the son of man standing at the right hand of the father there's been some speculation about why Jesus was standing up in that moment. Some have said that he was standing in honor and respect for knowing that Stephen was about to be stoned to death because at that moment they really got mad and they drug him out and they did stone him to death after that. But before he ever had one rock thrown at him, he's saying, I see Jesus and he's standing up. I'm not here to even pick a fight with any way that you think or any reason why you think Jesus was standing up, but I would like to just offer you a potential idea. You see, what Stephen did was Stephen reached back to something that God started thousands of years before him. And he said, you guys have to understand, you're trying to make this about me. But what is happening in the earth is not about me. This is a movement that began thousands of years ago and today I'm declaring to you that that movement is still going on and you can kill me, but I'm just a speed bump in the road. I've seen the future and the future is filled with the church. The future is filled with the goodness of God. The future is filled with the wisdom of God. You're not going to stop. You can take me out, but you are not going to stop this because we're a part of something that's so much bigger than us. And in that moment, Jesus stood to his feet and said, that's right, boy. He tapped into something that was bigger than himself. And I'm telling you, if you'll live your life for the greater cause of the church, you won't get so caught up in everybody picking on you. Your feelings all of a sudden don't mean anything when you're talking about being a part of the greatest movement that ever started in the earth and is still going on today. We've got a greater cause to live for. We have a greater purpose to live for. We're here to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. So we go to church because it's in that place where we worship and his wisdom is seen.
And the word is preached and the wisdom is seen. And we're setting ourselves up for future. We're actually setting ourselves up to be the kind of people that plant seeds today that grow great trees for the next generation. You see, we live our lives today recognizing that the seed that we sow, the tree that we plant today, we may never sit in its shade. But there's coming a generation that will. Because although I know that Jesus is all about you and he loves you and he gave his life for you, the church is connected to an eternal purpose that is bigger than any one person. It's bigger than any one person. When you get connected to this kind of place, you get connected to this house, all of a sudden, you're getting connected to the eternal purpose and everything in your life starts to look a little bit different. Your world starts to get a little bit bigger because in the house of God, you are taught things like how to walk by faith. In God's house, you're taught, you're taught how to live a generous life. In Proverbs chapter 11 in the Message Bible says the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The book of Isaiah says a generous man plots and schemes generous things. And by his generosity, he stands. See, when we think of plotting and scheming, we usually think that's bad. But the Bible says we ought to be the kind of people that we're plotting and scheming how to be generous. You come to God's house and you learn what it means to be a generous person. You come to God's house and you find out what it means to be a man of God and a woman of God, a child of God. God's imparting wisdom. Okay, you, okay, you don't see the clouds part and behold, here's the wisdom of God. But I'm telling you, it's happening in your spirit every time you gather in this place. Every time you sit in worship and every time you sit under the preaching of God's word, his wisdom is being revealed in you and through you. I'll say it like the Apostle Paul said about being reconciled to God. I plead with you. I beg you. According to the book of Hebrews, don't forsake this. Don't neglect this. This is supernatural. Don't let the littlest things cause you to, ah, we can catch it next week. No, no. Don't. Your vagus nerve needs you here, and so does everybody else's. It's hell. I can't even tell you the, the amount of times that I've been sick on my way to church. Just committed, I ain't going to touch nobody. There have been times I've pulled over on the side of the road, throwing up on the side of the road, just on my way to church. But then you get in church, and all of a sudden start worshiping, singing, something happens. Healing comes. And the word is preached and faith rises. And Listen, I'm telling you, when, 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 when you're worshiping God and faith is rising, sickness doesn't stand a chance. Depression doesn't stand a chance. I'll finish with this. I read a book written by two secular psychologists. And, and they said that today, the American society is more connected than ever. And statistically, they are the loneliest that they've ever been. And because of that, anxiety and depression, suicides have skyrocketed. 
There are more anxiety drugs being prescribed today than ever before in history. People are on edge. And it's the result of feeling lonely. They feel like, okay, yeah, you got a thousand friends following you, but they don't know you. You don't know them and you know it. You feel alone. But they said, again, this secular psychologist, they're not Christians, nothing in the book even makes me think they're Christian. There's actually things there that I think they're the other way. But they said, they have found one institution that is stemming the tide of anxiety and depression in the nation. And it's the evangelical church. You battling anxiety? You need to get in God's house. Because this stems the tide of all that the world declares and says. There's even voices now, you need to get used to less. You need to start lowering your expectations. Uh -uh, that's not God's people. That's not God's way. We come here and we're reminded, dream big dreams and watch God do exceeding abundantly above it. Have big hopes. Believe that when you walk into this place, your marriage is going to be restored and your kids are going to fall in love with Jesus. You come into this place, if you're single, you're going to find your man or your woman, whichever. <clears throat> you're going to find them in God's house. Listen, that's a good place to find them. That's where I found my wife. Amen. This is supernatural. I know I've, I've said it, and I'm not trying to just linger for, for lingering's sake. You need to hear it said again. Don't forsake this. And for any that may be watching this later, get back to church. Get in God's house. Wherever you are, get in God's house. And let's together reveal the wisdom of God. And all those voices, those principalities and powers that try to bring fear, worry. No, in the house of God, we shut that down. In the house of God, we are liberated from that. <clears throat> I'd like to pray for you. As we finish up, I want to pray. I specifically want to pray for a couple of things. But one of them is something that I mentioned a moment ago that is very real and is very prevalent in our society. And that is this high level of anxiety and depression. And I just want to pray over you. I'm not asking, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. I just want to pray over you. Because I know wh whether it's a chronic thing or not, we've all felt it at some level because we're humans. But I believe that God wants to break that hold off of your heart and off of your soul. And that you can leave here worry free tonight. Anxiety, the voice of anxiety is going to shut its mouth tonight. And that darkness that comes and clouds your mind and you, you, you can't seem to shake it, and it just weighs on you. I'm telling you, there's light coming. There's light coming. And that light sounds and talks like hope. Because hope says, everything's going to be okay. Hope says tomorrow's going to be better than today. Hope says the greatest days are still ahead.
And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, Hold fast to your confession of hope, because he who promised is faithful. Would you bow your heads? Father, I pray for my family tonight. I pray for my church family. Father, there's been a voice. There's been a voice that has haunted, that has caused fear and anxiety and depression. And your word says that we as the church serve notice to principalities and powers. We declare the wisdom of God to principalities and powers. So we serve notice to that voice tonight. We recognize the thief that is stealing from us. And we say, anxiety, you loose your hold on the mind of God's people right now in the name of Jesus. Release their souls in the name of Jesus. I speak the light of hope to shine bright in the midst of that darkness of that depression in Jesus' name. Satan, you have no authority. You have no authority. We have the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. As we sing tonight, the name with all the power, the name with all the dominion. And we declare in the name of Jesus that you, your activity in our lives ceases tonight. And this is not going to be a generational thing. I just I hear this voice that says, but that's, that's, that's been something in our family for years. No, 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 it stops with you. In the name of Jesus. You're not going to be a repeat of your family history. You're going to set a new course. You're going to set a new life. You're going to live lighter. You're going to live brighter in the name of Jesus. You're going to live with more freedom in your life and freedom in your soul. And that sadness that is weighed on you is coming to an end tonight in the name of Jesus. Because the Bible says that God exchanges for us. He takes that spirit of heaviness off of us and he puts on us the garment of praise. He takes the sadness off of us and he imparts to us the spirit of gladness. And I'm telling you, release that sadness to him. Let go of that hurt. Let go of that depression. Let go of that anxiety. Put your faith in him tonight and you watch him make the exchange with you. And you will find freedom in your soul. In the name of Jesus. And I prophesy to each and every one of you, everything's going to be okay. God is working. And everything's going to be okay. In Jesus' name.